Welcome to the 11th episode of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainen, and I'm so glad you joined me today. Paula Hawking is a Romanian refugee who left her country of birth and her family when she was only a child. Her family landed in a small town of New Jersey where there weren't a lot of immigrants. She did not speak English, neither did any of her family members. But she was also the first to master the language and eventually became the translator not only for her family, but also other immigrants. Paula graduated high school and won quite a few scholarships to study nursing. She worked as a nurse for three decades. She's a cancer survivor, but the diagnosis and treatment changed her lifestyle. And Paula is learning to listen to God's voice daily and depend on Him for strength and encouragement as she copes with a new way of life. I was struck by Paula's joy, resilience, and strong faith in God. She has been through much adversity, death of a loved one, infertility, and cancer, among other things. But I could see God's love and peace shine through her as she spoke about her faith in God and shared her story. If you are going through a difficult season, I hope you draw encouragement from this conversation. God is with you in the wilderness and the valleys and the storms, and He will guide you and help you. And it may not seem like it right now, but there is a purpose to your suffering and to your journey on earth. So stand firm on God's promises and draw near to Him for comfort, strength, and hope. If you've been enjoying this podcast, could you please share it with a friend today? We would like to reach more people with our message and you can help us do that. And also join our private Facebook group to discuss podcast episodes and to watch exclusive extra clips. Hi and welcome to another episode of Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. On today's episode, we have with us uh, a very special guest. She's Paula Hawking. She's a refugee from Romania. She has uh, been a nurse for, she was a nurse for 30 years. And she served in various fields like ER, intensive care and hospice. She's also someone who has gone through a lot of adversity, including surviving cancer and the death of a loved one. We are going to be speaking more about that soon. And she lives in Tennessee with her husband, James. Welcome to the podcast, Paula. Thank you for having me. I usually start off by asking our guests about their favorite childhood memory. And I know that you were born and raised at least for your childhood in Romania. So if you remember anything, could you share a memory from your early childhood years? Sure. I have a lot of memories, but the things that meant a lot to me was we had a lot of freedom as children uh, in Romania. It was a different lifestyle. I left Romania when I was nine. And so all this happened when I was even younger, but I was the oldest. So I was probably about eight and my little siblings and we could just run loose and random people on the street would stop us and blow our noses or spank us if we were, you know, trying to go on the road and, and take care of us. Also hanging out with my cousins and my grandparents, because once we left Romania, that really didn't happen anymore. So I miss that. But just the freedom we had that it's not really part of childhood in America. That's true. And some would say that even in America, maybe it was true many years ago. 
But in some cultures and some countries, children do have that freedom. But talking about freedom, how was it? How was it being a Christian in Romania? Because at the time that you were growing up, it was Romania was still a communist country. So you uh, were born in a Christian family. So did you have much freedom to live freely as a Christian? So what was interesting as a child, it didn't impact me much. If anything, my memories are good because we had an incredibly good church community, like something that's not common in the U.S. Because anybody that wanted to be a Christian in Romania had to pay a price. So you had very few people, unless they were government informants, you had very few people that became Christians without wanting to be Christians. So for me, it was a, a good thing. I left when I was in the second grade, so it didn't impact me. But like my parents were not allowed to go to college there were some Christians that got to go to college, but it was it was not common. And then the government would put them, if they went to get a teaching degree, they stick them in some remote village where they wouldn't have any kids to teach. The other thing that impacted our family was we had fam- extended family members that were communist party members, and they were not allowed to associate with us because we're Christians. And we never held it against them. It was just part of the culture. Got it. And so your parents were Christians. So can you tell me something about their background? How did they come to become Christians? And I know from listening to your story earlier that your background, like your grandparents goes back from other countries. So take us through that journey a little bit, your ancestry. So my dad is Romanian, right? Except we did a genealogy. We did a genetic test. One of my brothers did and He's probably Austrian, but his family doesn't know that. And then my mother is Czechoslovakian and her family had been in Romania 200 years. So mom and dad met and his family was very upset because he was marrying a foreigner. Her family had only been there for 200 years. And then sometime after around my mom's grand, my mom's dad got saved before World War II and my dad's parents got saved after World War II. Um, Somebody translated the Bible into Romanian around that time, and and it started just this revival of just people becoming Christians. So my parents both grew up in Christian homes from the time they were young. So on both sides, I I came from a Christian background in a communist country, which is unusual. Yeah, and I sometimes think of it as a privilege, because even for me, only 5% of Indians are Christians, and it's just God's grace and providence that he put me in a family where uh, my parents were both Christians, and they raised us up to be uh, strong Christians as well. And so it's, I, I just look at it as a privilege to be that God places us in these families in his wisdom and grace. So I love that. So take us through your journey to America. What brought you to the U.S.? Uh, you mentioned you moved uh, when you finished second grade. Is that right? Yeah, I was nine years old. I I actually started third grade in Romania, but when we applied to leave Romania, the communists did not take it well. And mom pulled all of us kids out of school. So I never did third grade. I came to America and went directly into fourth. So in, I think in about 78, a lot of Romanian Christians just started feeling like God was telling them to leave Romania. And they started having all night prayer meetings and just very strongly feeling like God was telling them to leave Romania. My parents applied to leave and my dad had to quit his job. I I think they made him quit. 
And then they wouldn't give us permission to leave. So we were living off whatever savings we had. My mom had a brother that had run away from Romania about 10 years earlier. He had rolled a government truck and for destroying government property, he was going to go to jail or prison until it got paid off. So he was like, I'm going to go to prison one way or another. So either I go to prison or I run the border. And if I make it, if not, I'll go to prison anyway. So he ran the border and ended up in America. But our mail was censored and we didn't have a phone back then. And there was no way to get in touch with him. My parents knew he was in America, but he couldn't get in touch with any of his family. And sometime right after we applied to leave, somehow a letter from my uncle accidentally went to one of our neighbors whose mail was not censored and they took it over. Hey, you've got a letter. And we were able to get his contact information, got in touch with him, and then he sponsored us. So a lot of in in 78, 79, 80, a huge amount of Romanians left Romania. Like President Carter met with Ceausescu, that was the president of Romania, and arranged something and Romania let a lot of Christians go right around that time. And then that closed. It was just a very brief window. Okay. Your parents left Romania in the late 1970s. Is that correct? Yes, 79. We found out afterward, which was really interesting, is what the communists did is they were only letting Christians go. And then they were only letting Christians go that had a a nicer home because then they could put a, a party member in a nice house for the price of airline tickets to get us out of the country. We had to start all over again once we got to America. So for years, my parents were really sad about losing our home. And then years later, we figured out that was actually our ticket out. and We didn't even know it. Yeah, the way God orchestrates these things is is amazing. In hindsight, only we see how these things play out. Tell me about your, the first few months or weeks in America from what you remember. How was it? And remind me again, how many siblings you had when you moved to the U.S.? So when we moved, there were five of us. Mom was pregnant with number six, but she hid her pregnancy because it would have complicated uh, moving. One of my brothers was born shortly after coming to the U.S. I was impressed at how green everything was. We landed in northern New Jersey in a little town, and everything was really green. But then we were in some rundown apartment complex, like a low-income place with cockroaches, which we didn't have and was pretty shocking and unpleasant. We went to school, and and I remember my mom being overwhelmed by the amount of paperwork the school was sent home when you don't speak English and you've got to look up everything in a dictionary. And that took for four or five kids, right? <laughs> yeah. There were only three of us in school, I think, two or three of us. At that, the other ones are younger, but because I was with. But still, I remember coming home and the lunch menu. She's looking up every word and she looks up hot dog and oh no, we don't eat dogs and you're not eating lunch that day. We're just sending lunch with you, so just stuff like that. I remember one time my mom looked up in the dictionary, a kitchen cleaner, right, and she wrote it out for my dad because she needed some cleaner. So he goes to the store and he reads it off and he goes chicken cleaner. And the sales ladies, I have no idea what you're talking about. And just get back and say, no, I need a chicken cleaner. And finally, somebody figured it out. They're like, kitchen, he needs something to clean the kitchen <laughs> and got him something to clean with. But just stuff like that where or you couldn't even buy things in the store because you have no idea what's in them if you can't see uh, what's in the container. Yeah, I can't even imagine how difficult it would have been not knowing the language. And I'm thinking from your parents' point of view, because they have young children now and they don't know the language. They have to start all over. 
How do you think your parents coped with it? Did they find jobs and how did they navigate the cultural differences? So initially, my dad would just get minimum wage jobs that did not require any English. He'd been a diesel mechanic in Romania. And once he learned English, he uh, started working as a diesel mechanic here in America, too. We uh, became friends with a large immigrant community. They're all in the same boat we were, or worse. We actually had one guy that actually lived with us for a while until his family came over so he could save up some money. And he was so bad with directions, he had a station wagon. So my mom and dad got him a twin-size mattress to put in a station wagon and blankets and pillows because he'd try to go somewhere and he'd get so lost. He'd just spend the night wherever because he couldn't figure out this is before GPSs. And he didn't speak any English, so he couldn't ask for directions. So he, he'd just get lost. And sometimes he would just sleep wherever he was by the time he made it back home. Wow. Yeah. And I learned English the fastest. I was young and I liked reading. I started reading and then I ended up for years being the translator for a lot of the adults in our community and everybody helped each other. They go, Hey, we just found a factory that's hiring people. You don't have to speak English. We, somebody go and translate and they'd get hired. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about being connected to an immigrant community because they know what it is like to be in your place and they help each other out. Even I faced this when I was new to San Jose, it was other Indian families that told us where to go, what to buy (laughs) and how to get plugged in, things like that. And so it's so important, especially for new immigrants, new refugees to find someone who's already connected from their community or even who had been an immigrant themselves. I'm curious, did you find a church in New Jersey for your family to go to? Yeah, so initially we went to an American church. We were just really far out in the country, and we were the first immigrants, I think, to show up probably in our town. The schools did not know what to do with us kids. So we went to an American church and didn't understand very much, just watched the pastor wave his arms and stuff. It was entertaining. They had a different style than they did in Romania. And in pro- a few months after we got here, we found uh, a church about an hour away from our house in Passaic. And it was just full of immigrants. And they were all Eastern Europeans, except I think one Italian somehow got in there. But but they're Hungarians, Russians, Ukrainians, Romanians, Czechoslovakians, um, Serbians, Hungarians. And they all spoke their native languages. But in Europe, so many people speak different languages that a lot of the people in the church uh, spoke more than one language. So sometimes the pastor would preach and there'd be two translators going at the same time. And we went to this church for years and we'd have potlucks together and hang out and do stuff together. And none of us really were able to talk to each other. We're all friends, but we didn't really communicate. And when I was around 17 or 18, by then our whole family, had learned English enough that we started attending an American church. Okay. I'm also wondering about your family and and the relationships the siblings had with each other and with your parents, did moving to a foreign country make you guys stick together more or how did it affect you all? Because you all were going through an adjustment. Yes. Within a very short time after we got to America, my uncle that had sponsored us, it was in in 79, lost his job. It was during a recession and he left. He moved out of state And we'd already purchased the house. And with a bunch of kids, when you don't speak English, you don't move very easily. And so we got stuck in this little town without hardly any other immigrants around. 
so we ended up being really close. All of us kids ended up being really close because of that. Very- uh, yeah, that's probably one of the blessings um, that came out of your journey. Now let's talk about your profession as a nurse. Why did you choose nursing? What led you to that field? My parents really wanted us all to go to college. They weren't allowed to. So my entire childhood mom and dad would say, you're going to go to college, right? So when I was in high school, I worked on weekends as a nurse's aide at a nursing home near my house to make extra money. And so when I was a senior, they handed out these packets. What do you want to be? And I knew I was going to go to college, but I actually didn't know what college degrees there even were. And this is before the internet, right? So you're like, you're going to a library to research everything. So I figured I was already working as a nurse's aide and I like people. So I chose nursing, but I didn't even know where any colleges were. There weren't any in our town. So then one day when a girl from, from school was like, hey, I'm going to go to this college. Turned out it was about an hour drive from our house to apply. You want to ride with me? And I said, sure. So I rode there. It was probably like the day open like for high school seniors to apply. So I rode with her and uh, she dropped me off and I applied for the nursing program. And then my mom was supposed to pick me up. And I had no idea college was so big because our high school was just one building. And this college was like on 10 acres and multiple buildings. And I was like, oh, my goodness, my mother's never going to find me. So I went and sat by the side of the road, the side of the highway, by the exit ramp where I knew she was coming. I knew what direction she's coming from. Oh, my goodness. I almost caused car accidents. So here I am in my pretty little dress, just sitting by the side of the road. And everybody's honking or slowing down. And one of the teachers from school saw me, took me back right back to school and goes, you can't do that. That's not okay. <laughs> I didn't know. (laughs) And then my mom finally got me. And then that night there was an award ceremony at my high school. And we showed up late because of this not knowing where to pick me up. And we sat in the back and then they just kept giving out the best athlete, the top grades on and on. And then some scholarships. And my mom kept saying, let's go. Why are we here? And I'm like, no, we were late. We're rude. We're going to stay through the whole thing. We're staying. And then at the very end, there's only two things left. And they said, oh, this scholarship goes to me. I walked down and the next scholarship went to me again. I walked down. I said, oh, more things have come in since we printed out the program. And every single thing that came in was me, my name. And I just kept walking back and forth up and down the aisle. By the time it was done, they paid for my schooling twice over and paid for all my books. Like uh, I have so many other scholarships and then they didn't know what to do. They'd never had any student win two full scholarships before. And I said, give it to somebody else. They said, no, it's got your name on it. So eventually they just gave me the cash. And that ended up being a miracle because my parents couldn't afford to pay for me to go to college. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, because that God provides, right? And this was a miracle that you didn't expect. It was totally God. It was like, God, I want you to be a nurse. Here you go. I'm going to pay for it. (laughs) It was was totally a God thing. Such a clear sign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... I know this might sound like a silly question, right? But I'm curious, how did you do so well at school? What motivated you to be the best? Because clearly you did academically and for people to give you scholarships and to recognize that, and you were a high achiever. So if when you look back at that, what do you think drove you to give your best? Um, I'm a type A personality, number one. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing. But the other thing was, so in Romania, we had a library, okay? And the library was a stack of books that they always arranged in the same order. And then the kids would all walk through and pick up the books. And it was 
And I always got the same book every single week. And I don't know if any other kids ever complained, but I complained. I'm like, hey, can I ever get a different book? Rearrange the books or rearrange how we're lined up. No, this is the way it's done. So I just kept getting the same book. And then on top of that, it was uh, very few books because the communists had censored everything and there was hardly anything left for anybody to read. And I got to America and there's a whole library at the school and I was allowed to read anything I wanted. I just read and read. And so without trying, I just, I became a good student because I like to read, I guess. I, I learned spelling, grammar, everything really. I learned stuff in school too, but a lot of the stuff I learned from reading including about the American culture, because up until that point, we'd only been in with the immigrants we were with. Yeah. So you learned a lot from reading books about the culture. So then that leads me to my next question, which is you came as a young child and you went to high school and you studied here and you worked here. Was there any point during this time of adjustment and just blending in and getting into American life and just going through the motions? Did you ever feel like you were a misfit because of being Romanian. Because when we look at your Caucasian, so you don't stand out. But did you ever feel like you were a misfit? Yeah, because up until I was 17 or 18, we'd only stayed within an immigrant community. It wasn't very big, but it was immigrants. And so there's just cultural things that are different. Now I'm thoroughly Americanized. I've decided I just picked the best of both cultures and that's where I'm at. But yeah, there was, I remember going to an American church in my early twenties and running into young people that said they're Christians, but they weren't living like they're Christians. And I just couldn't understand it. Like at first we just, they say they're Christians. Of course they're Christians. Then we found out, oh, that's not necessarily the case in America. So there's, there were just things I didn't know. Mm. A lot of things I didn't know, but you wouldn't know I didn't know them. One of the funny things is uh, like I like to read, right? And I'd read a book and you'd read about somebody being on trial and they say, oh, they're guilty. But it took me quite a while before I figured out which one's innocent and which one's guilty. I'd get them confused. Yeah. So now I know a little bit of your story. And I know that after a few years of you working as a nurse and after all these years of living in America, your family faced a tragedy. So can you talk a little bit more about that uh, and how that shaped your faith and how that affected your family as a whole? So when I was 30 years old, I lost my baby brother who was 19. He died in an accident. And that's, it's just devastating. I was devastating to all of us kids and my parents, obviously. And it's nothing you ever want to go through, but Ultimately, what came out of that is at that time I was living, we were all living in New Jersey and New York. Well, some of my siblings were living in New York and, and I just couldn't deal with all the memories and everywhere I'd go, people would say, I'm so sorry about your brother. And next thing I'd be sobbing and I'd have to go home. And, and I was working as an emergency room nurse and young kids would come in, car accidents, drownings. I used to do CPR on them. And after my brother died, I couldn't do that anymore. Emotionally, I just couldn't handle it. And there was actually a few times where I walked off the job and I said, I can't handle this. And you're going to send somebody else to do this. And I'm going home. And after I did this a few times, I was like, oh boy, I'm going to get fired. I can't keep working like this. So I took a job as a traveling nurse and I was going to travel the country. And my first assignment was Oregon. And I went to work, moved to Oregon. 
And within a few years, my entire family followed. I think they probably all had issues with memories. And But God used it for good. A lot of us got married there. We were really blessed. Had a, We were there for 20 years. It was wonderful. And I think, especially for my younger siblings, they were just loving life, just having fun. And then when my brother died, it really, it just makes you realize how temporary life is. And you take things a lot more seriously. You think about things differently. Yeah. Did you have questions for God? Did you wrestle with your faith? Yeah, but the way (laughs) I wrestled with my faith more later, but the way I finally, I came to a realization, I watched some parents struggling with kids that were drug addicted and homeless and stuff. And remember talking to one mom and she said, yeah, my, my son's drug addict, he's homeless. Every time the phone rings, I think maybe he's killed somebody or been killed himself. And I realized my brother uh, was a Christian. I knew he was safe in heaven. And I've come to realization that we've, every one of us only has a certain amount of days. And we don't know how long that is. And once our purpose is done, yeah. that's it. And, and God's in charge. And, and God orchestrates it all for good in the end. And honestly, life's going to be short, whether... You live to be 19 or 50 or 100. Ultimately, it's still going to be really short. Yeah. Eternity is what matters. That's true. And such a comfort to know that your brother is with Jesus, uh, the person he loved the most, and he's in heaven. And that one day you will join him there. So there will be a reunion. And that's a comforting thought. Mm -hmm. Now you had more suffering, like you mentioned later on, because you got diagnosed with cancer. So can you tell us more about that, about your journey with cancer and how that has and or is continuing to affect your walk with God, your relationship with others? So in August of 2020, I started feeling sick. I'd always been super healthy. I never had any health problems or very minor And I started getting sick. And then in September of 2020, I was diagnosed with stage three stomach cancer, a very aggressive cancer, which I found out was caused by a bacteria called um, Helicobacter pylori. That's common in water in third world countries. And by common, it's pretty much anybody that's spent any amount of time in third world countries should probably just, just get tested. It's treatable. If you catch it early, they just kill the bacteria. I didn't know I had it. I had no symptoms. And so by the time I was diagnosed with stomach cancer, it was kind of too far gone. So I ended up getting chemo. I had surgery and I had my entire stomach removed, all the valves, everything. They connected my intestines to my esophagus. And I had a feeding tube for six months until I learned how to eat without a stomach. I actually still struggle with that. There's always, I'm I'm still learning. I'll have problems and I'll figure something new out (laughs) regularly. I'm cancer-free, which is pretty much a miracle. Only about uh, 25% of people survive uh, the stage I was at, the stage I was at. And the fact that I'm cancer-free is God. He allowed it to get discovered before I went to stage four. This cancer stage four only has a 5% survival rate. And I was really close to going there. Yeah, that tests your faith. Let me tell you. So I never doubted that God's real. You look just at how the human body's made. That doesn't just happen. That's mm-hmm. amazing. The way we work, uh, every, everything, God's real, right? And I, there's enough things out there that God's real. But then when things didn't go right, 
then it's, yeah, God's real, but what in the world is he doing? I don't mm-hmm. like this. This is not a good idea. I don't think any of this was a good idea. Mm-hmm. And he taught me how to listen to his voice through this mm-hmm. and how to hear his voice. I'm, I'm still not great at it, but I'm definitely better than I was before. Because before I could depend on myself and I could depend on my own strength. And I can't do that anymore. He taught me how to hear his voice. And then I can look back and I can see him working through circumstances, through so many circumstances, through this whole journey that I've been on the last three years. And you go through a fire, but it's pretty amazing when you realize the God of the universe is walking through it with you. It's pretty amazing. And I didn't see it at first. At first, I was so sick. But then I can look back and I can just see so many places I've been and and God was with me and God just guided circumstances and put people my way and just so many things or just had the right thing show up on a CAT scan or the right thing show up on a lab or send the right doctor or nurse or I can see his hand in my life. And so I know even though this is not where I want to be, I know he's got a plan and uh, his plans are not our plans. And, And I am limited and he's not. So I've got to trust him. I've got to trust him. And that being said, I still like, I still on a regular basis pray. I'm like, God, I have so much trouble trusting you, especially when things don't look good. I have so much trouble. You've got to change me. Keep, you got to keep working on me. Keep changing me. Keep changing me to where I can trust you better. I feel like I'm in church and I heard a sermon. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. It also reminds me that when you said we want God's plan for our lives, not ours, but, and God is so good. He just doesn't say, this is my plan for you and leave us alone. He is with us every step of the way through the fire, through the storm, through the wilderness, valley, whatever we are going through. Like you said, again, even though we don't like it, we can count on the fact that we are not alone and God is with us every step of the way and that his help is always near. So thank you for being so open and talking about that. Now, my last question to you is looking back at when you your family moved and how you had a period of adjustment there and you didn't have other Romanians around or things like that. What would you say that a, a regular person in America can do if they come across a refugee family or someone who's newly moved into their neighborhood from another country and they seem totally foreign and is there anything we, you wished that someone would have helped you, your family with when you were new to the country? So we, we were blessed. Even like the American church we went to, they'd have us over their houses. We mm-hmm. couldn't talk to them, but they'd have us over. But we learned a lot that way because I remember going over somebody's house and they had salsa. Like, wow, this stuff's amazing. Where do you get this? Like the grocery store. Really? I don't think they sell that at our grocery store. Sure enough, they did. <laughs> we didn't know because we never tried it. So yeah. just just ha- having somebody over your house and then and then understanding that culturally, um, you know, what's... And honestly, I think most immigrants don't have thin skin where they're just going to get offended about everything. At least we didn't. But culturally, certain things are acceptable in one culture, not acceptable in another. And, and be aware of that. So that you're not like, like in the Romanian tradition, they'll feed you and feed you and feed you. And the part of the Romanian tradition is if somebody offers to feed you, you don't say no the first time because that's considered rude. 
of course, if Americans, if they say, would you like something? You say, no, they don't offer it again. You know, so, so that became a big issue for all the Romanian families. That was one of the first things is if somebody offers you something, if you want to say yes, because they're not going to ask you 20 times the way you do in the Romanian, because otherwise they're rude if you accept right away. And so just culturally, there's so many differences, but you can learn from each other's cultures and there's good things in everybody's cultures. Yeah. But yeah, having, having somebody over your house and uh, just being hospitable. Yeah, I'm I'm a big advocate of that, that just open your home and invite people in, talk to them. And it's okay if your questions to you also seem silly. And I feel like some people these days are so afraid of making mistakes. And I say the same thing that you've said, that we have a thick skin. It's I, I can tell if it's coming from a rude, offensive place, or sometimes they're just questions because they don't know about us. Uh, and they're asking from a sincere place. They're asking out of genuine curiosity to just get to know you better. And, and it's okay to make mistakes. We will we learn by making mistakes because you're interacting with someone from another culture. You don't know everything. Google is not going to tell you what you just told us that Romanians like to feed you. You learn uh, the more mistakes you make and the more interactions you have with someone. Yeah, if you know a refugee family, and this is to listeners and viewers watching, just invite them in for a meal and, and get to know them. And that's one of the best ways of showing Christian love to your refugee or immigrant neighbors. Thank you so much, Paula, for sharing your story, your message on this podcast. We were so blessed to learn from you and to hear your thoughts about adversity and faith and your immigrant journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainan. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group, Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind-the-scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to MabelNinen.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel, Mabel Nainen. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I'm so glad you joined us today. Until next time, goodbye.